Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Living Word Family Church. Good afternoon, almost. He said he took the service from me last week. The Holy Spirit tried to take it today. Just kidding. No, I yielded. Would have been totally fine with uh, not getting the opportunity to speak. And now I am on the fly trying to figure out if I should preach all of this or some of it. So just believe the Lord with me to preach it all. Okay, there we go. (laughs) Blessed, as always, to have the opportunity to share. I uh, last month, I went down to Rama for part of camp meeting and was catching up with a friend of mine, and he was just asking, so do you get many opportunities to preach at your church? I said, well, every time my pastor has an appendectomy, I preach. So <laughs> he's like, how many more times is that going to happen? Well, hopefully not, but not an appendectomy, but an opportunity here nonetheless, and uh, thank you. Uh, so this morning, I'm going to fit the typical Rhema graduate stereotype and teach on the subject of faith. And I am going to do so by faith because I I wrestled with the Lord all day yesterday going through this. Literally, while going over it, I said, I don't want to preach this. (laughs) But I believe it's the right thing for living word for today. So, uh, you know, Peter said in his writings, he emphasized the importance of reminding ourselves of the truths that we already know. So I believe that uh, this message will be beneficial in that regard, just to remind ourselves of some of the aspects of faith. And the title of my sermon this morning is Faith That Pleases God. Faith That Pleases God. So for those of you that have heard me preach before, you know that I enjoy points. I am a big fan of structure. And typically, you know, in the the handful of sermons I've delivered here, it's usually a three-point sermon, four-point sermon. Today's unfortunately at 1040, is a nine-point sermon. So I hope you didn't make lunch reservations. No, I will, I will go through this as quickly as I can. But I've got nine points, and uh, they're in groups of three, because that just feels nice. So faith that pleases God. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So I don't know about you, but I, I want to be found pleasing God. And in order to do that, I must walk and live by faith. So the three sections of my sermon this morning are going to be the beginning of faith, the sights and sounds of faith, and then the walk of faith. Three points under each of those. So the first section, the beginning of faith. In order to have an understanding of what faith, the life of faith looks like, we need to uh, know some very basic things about faith itself. And again, this is going to seem very, very foundational, very simple to a lot of us, but It's a a good reminder for us. So point number one in that section is the source of faith. The source of faith. Hebrews 11.1 calls faith a substance. So every substance has to have a root, has to have a source, right? So where does our faith come from? Romans chapter 12, verse 3 Romans 12.3 says, Paul is saying, For I say, though through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. 
God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So in context here, Paul's addressing believers in the church at Rome, and in essence, he's, he's encouraging them to remain humble, saying, look, God doesn't see person A any differently than he sees person B, and he's dealt to each one of us, all of his children, a measure of faith. So faith comes from God. We can't boast about the faith we have or the amount of faith we have because we didn't obtain it on our own. Uh, Another popular verse in the book of Romans concerning faith is 1017. From Romans 1017 that says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We all know that verse and, and we've heard it many times in this church, specifically from Pastor Scott, that where does faith begin? Faith begins where the will of God is known. So what is his will? Oh, it's his word. His word is his will. And this is not a separate source of faith from what we just said in Romans 12.3. God and his word will never conflict, right? They are forever connected. God is actually the one who has exalted his word to that level. Psalm 138.2 says, You have magnified your word above all your name. So the easiest way for us to understand the character of God is to read and hear his word. That measure of faith that we've been given by God is strengthened as we are spending time in the word. The combination of the written word of God and the spoken word of God gives us faith and strengthens our faith. And every time I read Romans 10, 17, I I remember this teaching that I heard several years back. And every time I read this now, I I feel compelled to share this as well, that faith comes by hearing, not by having heard. So faith, hearing, the hearing part has to be always in the present tense. So the example that I heard when when I first heard this teaching is the one I'll share from the word uh, is Abraham and his sacrifice of Isaac. If, you know, he had a word from the Lord, sacrifice your son, if he had taken that word all the way through to completion rather than hearing in the midst of his obedience, he wouldn't have really been in faith. When you hear something from God, begin to obey, but while obeying, keep your ears open. Keep hearing. Faith comes by hearing, not by having heard. So we know where faith comes from, how to receive it, but there are other necessary components uh, in order to live faith out. It's not enough uh, with a car to just put oil in your engine. There are other components. If that were the case, I'd be a car expert because I can do that. But There's other things involved in order for your car to run smoothly. Faith is the same way. There's a little more to it. So point number two in this section of the beginning of faith is faith is a substance of hope. Faith is a substance of hope. I referenced it already, but let's go ahead and look at Hebrews 11.1. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Whenever we're trying to understand a spiritual concept like faith, it's important to pay attention in the word to the things that it is connected to. So I think a lot of believers just think faith and hope, yeah, they're, they're pretty much the same thing. They're not. They're, they're both here in this verse. Clearly, there's a difference between them. Our faith is directly connected to our hope and Uh, Apologies to my small group for the repeat here, but hope is the joyful anticipation of good in the biblical sense. I know in the the world we think of hope as just, oh, I hope 
you know, I wish for this. But hope, biblically, is based on God's character. It's the hopeful, it's the uh, joyful, rather, anticipation of good. And since Psalm 119.68 says of God that he is good and he does good, we could say that hope is the joyful anticipation of God. It's the joyful anticipation of God moving, of, of God doing something in our lives. Hope is the idea, and faith is the corresponding action. Uh, you could say it like this. Faith is the external expression of our internal hope. Faith is the external expression of our internal hope. In circumstances of uh, sickness, for example, my hope is the joyful anticipation of God's healing power being made manifest in my life. My faith is the evidence to those around me that that's where my hope is. Does that make sense? My hope is actually what I believe. My faith is what I do as a result of that belief. That's the evidence. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. How are they going to even know that there is a hope within you? It's based on the faith that you display. They will see the substance of faith in your words and in your actions. So that's point number two. Faith is a substance of hope. Point number three in this section, faith works by love. This has already been uh, touched on a little bit this morning. Faith works by love. Uh, Galatians chapter five. And I am tempted to, but I will not apologize for the amount of scripture I'm using today. Again, whenever you're, you're setting a foundation for something or reminding yourself of something, a lot of scripture is good. Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Without love, our faith is ineffective. It is nothing. This is uh, pointed out to us again in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Uh, the first couple of verses, 13, 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Mountain-moving faith, if it is not accompanied by love, does nothing for us. Uh, the last passage I'll read under this point comes from Romans 14. If you want to turn there, this is a bit of a longer one. Romans 14, a great passage about the connection between faith and love, uh, starting in verse 14. I know and am convinced by the Lord, this is Paul again, convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. 
Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. So when it comes to, you know, Paul here is talking about these, he's talking about eating and drinking certain things. These are non-sin issues. So when it comes to these gray areas, Paul is saying, whatever you do, whatever you have the liberty to do, do it in faith. If you have the liberty to eat and drink such and such, do it. But if your actions negatively affect someone around you by uh, grieving them or causing them to stumble, you're not walking in love. And every step outside of love is sin. And as the the last verse of this passage says, uh, whatever is not from faith is sin. So we clearly see the direct connection between love and faith. Faith works by love. Moving on to the second section, the sights and sounds of faith. What does faith look like? What does it sound like? Now that we know where it comes from um, and what it's connected to as far as hope and love, what is faith? Uh, those external expressions uh, are going to include what we say and what we do. So I want to look at, for each of these three points, I want to look at uh, an Old Testament example of what faith looks and sounds like. So for the first one, we're going to go to Genesis 6. And look at Noah. This first point is faith says yes when yes seems ridiculous. I was trying to mentally scan through all the, the stories of faith to try, the, try to find the most ridiculous one, and I just kept coming back to Noah. Um, so we're going to read a little part of this. In Genesis 6, starting in verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Skipping down to verse 13. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. Then he goes through uh, the details of how the ark is to be made. And skipping down to the last verse of the chapter, uh, verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Again, this is a story that we're all pretty familiar with, but this was, this was quite the construction project, right? Uh, this is not something that could be well hidden. If we're talking about acts of faith, this was very public for Noah. This is a, I've, I've heard it um, taught that there was likely not a flood before this time. Some even say that it hadn't rained up to this point, so a, bo- a boat was a pretty new concept, right? So to build this, out in front of everybody, it's probably seemed pretty ridiculous. Noah's yes, the actions of Noah's yes were visible to everyone around him. And, you know, there are some decisions I've made personally by faith that probably looked a 
little crazy to the people around me. I'm thankful that uh, five years ago when I followed the leading of the Lord to go to Rama, that I had nothing but support from family, from church family. I had, I had a couple of threats from people around here that I had to come back, but I did, so no worries there. But the only section of my life where I had a little bit of kickback when I told them, hey, I'm going to uproot my life and move 600 miles and do ministry training was a couple of people at work uh, who are unbelievers. And to them, it just, they didn't understand it. This is a porta potty guy. What are you doing going to uh, be trained for ministry? There are things God may ask of you that will seem ridiculous to those around you. And my advice is when the Lord leads you in that way, write down what he says before you share it with anyone. That way you have something to go back to when faced with the possible, uh, what, you're going to do what? Because you don't want to be deterred from obeying God. Amen? Point number two. So that was faith says yes when yes seems ridiculous. (laughs) Point number two, faith speaks truth over facts. Faith speaks truth over facts. This is uh, another Old Testament example of the life of Abraham, but we're actually going to go to a passage in the New Testament, back to the book of Romans, for a summary. Romans 4, uh, verses 16 through 22. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. It says, Abraham did not consider his own body. If we read the account in Genesis, you you can tell Abraham was definitely aware of his body. He was aware of his age and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He knew in the natural having a child at this point was not going to happen. But he was, he was aware of this. But faith is not a denial of facts. It is a profession of truth. There have been so many people over the years who think being in faith means speaking the supernatural while turning a blind eye to the natural. And that's not faith. That's, that's foolishness. To deny the existence of a problem isn't to be some super spiritual, uh, to be at some super spiritual status. God has given each of us a measure of faith, but he has also given us wisdom. Some people don't want to speak about the problem they're facing because they don't want to confess it into existence. But newsflash, if you're facing something, it's already in existence. Your confession of it is not going to make a difference there. And I'm not... I'm not downplaying the importance of faith-filled confessions, but to think that a denial of a problem means it doesn't exist is, again, you're just you're fooling yourself. It's like saying, no, a, a tornado didn't hit here while you're standing in its ruins. 
Faith is not the denial of facts, it is the profession of truth. In his book, Another Look at Faith, Pastor Kenneth Hagin, son of Brother Hagin, says this, the Bible doesn't say deny the truth, don't confess the facts. It says to confess those things that be not as though they were, which we just read in Romans 4.17. He says, so many people want to stick their head in the sand, spiritually speaking, and deny that they have a problem. But if your pockets are empty, you've got empty pockets. <laughs> you might as well admit it. But then don't stop there. Those empty pockets don't have to stay empty. Use those empty pockets as an opportunity to prove that God's word works. Don't deny the facts, but allow God's word to transform and change those facts. Faith is not a denial of facts. That is a profession of truth. And again, faith comes by hearing, but it is activated by speaking and speaking the word of God. If you're sick in your body, there's, there's no use denying it. If you, if you walk in here hobbled uh, clearly with severe back pain and someone asks, hey, are you doing okay? Yep, I'm perfectly fine. That's, that's not faith. That's a lie. And it's okay to, we've talked about this before, it's okay to speak the factual uh, aspect of that. Faith, for lack of a better phrase, faith is man enough to admit the facts, but wise enough to speak the truth in the face of those facts. God's realities are truer than anything this world throws at us. You may feel back pain, but the Word of God says you are healed by the stripes that Jesus took on his back, 1 Peter 2.24. Uh, you, may, you may not have enough money to pay your bills, but the Word says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, Philippians 4.19. You may have no idea what to do concerning a certain uh, decision, but the Word of God says the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth, John 16.13. Faith speaks truth over facts. Point number three, under that section, the sights and sounds of faith. Point number three, faith speaks from a higher reality. And all three of these points are, are pretty much the same thing, but I'm just calling them different things, I suppose. <laughs> faith speaks from a higher reality. For this point, we will go to an account in the book of Daniel, chapter three, if you want to go there context here, because um, I don't want to take the time to read more than necessary, uh, but King Nebuchadnezzar has set up a 90-foot chocolate bunny. <laughs> it's two sermons in a row with a VeggieTales reference. I, I really enjoyed VeggieTales as a kid. I'm so glad I watched it. The, the downside, I can't read the story of Esther without picturing her as like an onion or whatever. <laughs> Plus side, I really know those stories very well. But you're convinced that she actually is an onion? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> so King Nebuchadnezzar set up a, a 90-foot uh, gold image and is demanding everyone to bow down to it, to worship. And word has gotten to him that there are three Hebrews who are not doing so. They're refusing to worship. So we'll pick it up in Daniel 3, uh, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Rakshak and Benny. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. 
But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Pay attention to these next few verses here as we hear their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. I have heard this taught wrong, in my opinion, uh, so many times, as I'm sure a lot of us have. People, I think they see this, this response from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as, if you throw us in the furnace, God will deliver us. But if God doesn't deliver us, we still won't worship. But even just logically, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. If he doesn't deliver them, they will be burned. So, of course, they won't worship, right? What they're actually saying, they're saying, if that is the case in verse 17, if what is the case? If the king throws them in the fiery furnace, then God will deliver them. Then they say, if not, meaning if they don't throw us in the fiery furnace, we will still not worship the Lord. They had a resolve of faith and a resolve that God would deliver them should he throw them in the furnace. Their faith in God's delivering power was so great that they didn't have a backup plan. When it came to the time uh, that they were thrown into the furnace, because as you keep reading, they of course don't bow down to the image, and King Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, turn up the heat seven times hotter, which is what we're about to experience this upcoming week in Illinois. <laughs> Still better than the south, I suppose. So he turned up the, the furnace and um, ended up throwing them in. At that point, when it came time for them to be thrown into the, for, into the furnace, their faith couldn't afford any ifs. They either believed that God would deliver them or they didn't. Everything in the natural said that the fire should have killed them and even killed the ones that threw them in. But their faith spoke from a higher reality. The reality that the God they served was able to save them. This is what faith sounds like. It says yes when the yes seems ridiculous. It speaks truth over facts and it speaks from the higher reality of who God is and what he is able to do. So that takes us to this third section. Wow, I'm doing pretty good. All right. This third section, the walk of faith. And for these three points, I want to look at the life of a, a hero of faith that maybe doesn't get as much recognition as some of the others. I think when we think of heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, we think of probably a couple of the ones that we've talked about, Noah, Abraham, maybe Moses even. Uh, but there's someone who gets a verse, gets a shout out in Hebrews chapter 11 as well in verse 5, and it's Enoch, Hebrews eleven five. It says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That's what we're talking about this morning, faith that pleases God. So what is it about Enoch's life that pleased God? Obviously he had faith, but what did he do? For that, we have to go back to Genesis, chapter 5. You're getting a workout in your Bibles this morning. 
Genesis chapter 5. There's only four verses here about Enoch. We're going to go ahead and read them all. Verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Enoch pleased God by walking with him. And these three points under this section, the walk of faith, are as follows. Uh, Number one is pace. Pace. Enoch walked with God. Just in these uh, four short verses, it's said twice that he walked with God. Notice he didn't run with God. And I don't just say that to uh, emphasize my own disdain for running, but this is a walk of faith, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith. We don't run by faith. There's something to be said for Enoch's pace here. He wasn't carried by God. He didn't crawl with God. He didn't run with God. He walked. And walking takes maturity. I'm sure most of us have seen, and I'm not going to display this because, yeah, it would look bad. I think most of us have seen uh, a baby or toddler trying to go from the cruising the furniture stage to walking free, you know, free of any help. You want me to show you? It's funny to watch because they, it seems like they try to go from standing still to you know, their legs trying to keep up with the rest of their bodies. It's not really a walk yet. It takes some practice for them to develop the balance necessary to just walk. There are some baby Christians who get so fired up that they just want to run with the Lord. I'm going to do this and this. And the danger there is oftentimes they'll get out ahead of God and they're not keeping pace with him and they'll fall just like a baby trying to walk for the first time. Also consider this. (laughs) One of the few times that I have run, I, I always say, and this is, an old joke, but if you see me running, you should probably run too. It's not, <laughs> it's not good if you see me running. Uh, but have you ever tried to run with someone and carry on a conversation? There may be people here who are actually good at that. I am not one of them because I've actually tried that. I found it challenging. I found it uncomfortable. It's a lot easier at a walking pace to enjoy conversation with someone and get to know someone, right? At a walking pace, we can hear the direction of the Lord. Brother Hagen used to say he'd much rather get behind God than get ahead of him. Because if you fall behind in God's plan for your life, God, by his grace, can make time up. But if you get out ahead of him, you can make mistakes, and it's a little harder to undo the things that were done out ahead of God. Moving too fast can cause pain. So at a walking pace, it's much easier to hear and heed direction. I would much rather hear, this is the way, than to hear, that was the way, right? There will be times when we're tempted to run. There will be things that we go through that we would like to just get over with. But this is a walk of faith, not a run. Some examples of that in Psalm 23.4, it says, 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In Isaiah 43, 2, it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. It doesn't say that we'll run through the valley of the shadow of death or that we'll run through the fire and not be burned. But what it does say is that God will be with us as we walk through those things. The question then becomes, will we be with him? And that brings us to point number two, proximity. Enoch walked with God. Pace is an important thing, but if you're just out walking by yourself or with someone who will take you in the wrong direction, what good will that do? Enoch walked with God. Walking with God means he is attached to everything you do. It means you take him with you wherever you go. We've just gone over the fact that he has promised to be with us, but will we be with him? That responsibility, you know, God is, is fixed. He never changes. He never leaves us or forsakes us, right? So it becomes a matter of how close to him are we going to be. The responsibility falls to us. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And Isaiah 55.6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We have a a new covenant privilege that the Old Testament saints desired to have and never did. And that is, we have 24-7 access to our Creator. 24-7 access. Let's utilize that, right? When you're confused, go to Him. When you're celebrating, go to Him. When you're unsettled, go to Him. Just be with Him. I think I mentioned this one of the last times I preached, but be so attached to the presence of God that you'll say like Moses, if you don't go, I don't go. Matthew 7, again, I know this is a lot of scripture. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. God is not a God who withholds. As it says in, in Hebrews eleven six. he's a God who gives. He's a rewarder, right? He rewards our asking with giving. He rewards our seeking with finding. And he rewards our knocking with opening. Draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Talk with him, and he will talk with you. And that transitions us to the last point, point number three under this section, the walk of faith, and that is prophecy. Uh, for this point, we need to look at the other New Testament reference to Enoch, which is found in the obscure book of Jude, the second to last book of the Bible. Very short and very intriguing book. There's a mention of Enoch here, and for context, this, this passage in Jude, and really most of the, the letter of Jude, is him talking about those who have chosen not to believe in the Lord. Um, these are people who have heard and either believed and walked away or just chosen not to believe. And we will start in uh, verse 12 of Jude, the only chapter in Jude. Verse 12 says, These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They, they who choose not to believe, are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up from the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, 
wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So here Jude is speaking of ungodly people in his day, and in the previous verses compares those people to the people of Egypt in the time of Moses to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah in the time of Abraham. The people Jude is referring to lived thousands of years after Enoch, yet God used him to prophesy about the Lord executing judgment on them. From just a handful of generations into humanity, God is warning unbelievers of their apostasy. If you continue to read the next few verses of Jude, it's easy to see that the people he's describing are people that we could easily see around us today. People who are choosing not to believe, people who are deconstructing. Enoch's pace and proximity to God positioned him to speak forth the words of God that would last for millennia. Think about that. Since this point is prophecy, I just want to read a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians 14, which we are also familiar with. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Why does he say especially that you may prophesy? Why is that one emphasized above all the other gifts? I think there's two reasons. Well, there's probably more than that, but there's two that I'm going to share. Uh, I think one reason is that God knew that true prophecy required proximity. You know, sometimes God uses a booming voice, but sometimes he uses a whisper. And when he does, we need to be close enough to him to hear that, right? In verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 14, it says, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And I think this is the other reason. Although Enoch's word may not have sounded very edifying or comforting, it ultimately was because it was a word from God. All of God's words are edifying and exhorting and comforting. I personally have, I mentioned this already, but I've obeyed the Lord in some tough circumstances. And although it was difficult, the comfort came in knowing that I was obeying, right? When we're walking with God, it positions us to hear from him. That pace and proximity to God allows him to speak to us and through us which according to Paul is something we should all desire. So the praise and worship team can go ahead and make your way on up here, if you would. So that was a lot, packed into a, a pretty short amount of time, too. That was a lot of information, a lot of points, a lot of scriptures. But again, you know, there are some things that we hear over and over. This is... This is kind of a stupid example, but have you ever said a word over and over to where it just doesn't seem like a word anymore? Like, you say shampoo 50 times, and by the end of that, you're like, what even is shampoo? That can, that can happen to us with spiritual concepts. We just hear, we know, this is a word of faith church, right? We know about faith. We've heard so much about faith. The word faith is in the Bible as we read it over and over. But it's important every now and then to, 
again, just go back and remind ourselves, what is faith? What does it look like? What does it sound like? And I trust we've, we've done that well this morning, just reminded ourselves, stirred ourselves up regarding this topic of faith. Go ahead and uh, stand with me if you would. Because now we come to the point of application. Now that we've heard this, what do we do? What steps do we take? Uh, For those of us here today who have confessed our faith in Jesus Christ, it's time to take stock in our own walks of faith individually. If you evaluate yourself against the things we've heard today, can you honestly say that you're living a life that pleases God? Or are you living a life that is really not requiring much faith, maybe? Faith comes by hearing, but it is released by doing. If all we do is receive faith and never use it, that's like consuming calories without ever burning any. We become spiritually fat. So my encouragement to believers in here this morning is to release your faith. Take action. This This is a word church. If faith comes by hearing, we are faith-filled people because we have heard the word here, right? So take action. Release your faith. If you're not sure what to do, go back to the last thing that God told you. Do that. Purpose to walk with God at a pace and proximity that will allow you to hear from him. For those who may be here today who have not made a confession of faith in Jesus, today is the day to take that first step in the walk of faith. It doesn't get much better than a fresh start, and that's what God is offering to you today. He says, I've given you my life, now give me yours. That's your invitation today. Take the step to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So if that's you today, you've never made that decision, I just invite you to come down here once they start singing, and I'll pray with you. If you're here today, you know You've been on that walk of faith before, but maybe you've taken a step off the path. He's offering that same fresh start to you. So I invite you to come down as well to rededicate. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then they'll sing, and then uh, if that's you, go ahead and come on down. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity to remind ourselves of these concepts concerning faith. Lord, and it is our desire to walk with you, to be so closely connected with you and your presence that we are able to hear your direction. God, we thank you that we receive faith from you, from your word, and we purpose to live our lives releasing that faith in obedience to your direction, Lord. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who needs to take that first step of faith and receive you into their lives, that they would do so this morning. Give them the boldness necessary. We thank you that you have given them a measure of faith, Lord. So we ask you to, we pray that that would rise up in them this morning, that they would come and take that first step with you. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you come. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. 
For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.